Good morning, Keystone. I would guess that at some point in each of your lives, uh, you set out to do something that you knew was going to involve a certain measure of pain. Uh, as a freshman in high school, I ran cross country. Uh, and not because I necessarily loved running at that point in my life, but because that was about the only sport that a five foot, uh, 95 pound male could possibly succeed in in high school. So I ran cross country. Uh, and I remember that I, I enjoyed kind of being part of the team. Uh, I enjoyed the post race snacks after we finished a race but I tended to dread race day because I knew at some moment when we raced, I would feel terrible and I would simply have to keep running. That reality only becomes all the more true the longer the distance someone runs in a race. Uh, I find a, a fascination today with people who set out to run 100 mile ultra marathon races. I don't know if you knew that's a thing or not, but the people run 100 mile races and, and someone described what that's like in this way. I said, you find the level of intolerance you can tolerate and you stay there. People who run like that, who run that type of distance, don't do it alone because running like that is too difficult to go at it alone. They have teams of two to four people, crews who are supporting them along the way, uh, helping to keep them nourished, encouraging them, trying to get them to the finish line. Because running a long distance like that is too difficult and hard to go at it alone. We, we might say a similar thing about our lives. Life is often hard sometimes incredibly hard. We, we face disappointments, discouragements, lots of ups and downs. I mean, I would be willing to guess that everyone even sitting here this morning faced this reality at some point this week. Life is hard, that it can wear us down at times, that it's too difficult to go at it alone. And so just like a crew can support a runner and help them get to the finish line, so also in this life, we need a family who will stand by our side, who will support us, who will have our back, who will cry with us, who will rejoice with us, and who will help carry us along because life is too difficult to go at it alone which is why it's then really good news, I believe, that Jesus' death on the cross is our welcome into his family. That's what we might see this morning as we continue to look at these sayings of Jesus as he hangs on the cross and dies for us. That's the series that we've been in the past couple weeks, the last words of Jesus. And in the first week, we looked at his word of forgiveness to those who were crucifying him. And last week, Pastor Joel led us to see the shocking and astonishing word of salvation as Jesus tells the thief next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And, and both of those sayings are found in Luke's account of the crucifixion. And so today we're going to shift and we're going to look at John's account of the crucifixion in John chapter 19 to see Jesus' word on family. We'll be in John 19 verses 23 through 27. 
But part of the, the beauty, part of the significance of the cross and what Jesus is doing is that he's not dying simply to forgive and save individuals, but he's dying to create a family that's united together around him and his death. Here's what a person named Sean Nolan says about this. Christ's body has been given to establish a new interdependent body, a family united not through the blood of shared ancestry, but through the blood of Christ. And as a family, they would rely on one another in times of rejoicing as well as suffering. And I think even from the cross, as Jesus says these words we're going to look at today, he gives us a glimpse into what it means to be a part of his family. And so let's read starting in John 19, verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but but let's cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, and his mother's sister, and Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. Father, we uh, look to you today as we do every day, to care for us, to guide us, to empower us to live lives that please you, to be constantly aware of your heart for us and and what kind of God you are. So I, I pray that as we look back again to the cross, as we look back again to what Jesus says as he dies in our place, that you would show us more of what you're like your heart for your family, your desire for your family. And I pray that you would show us what it means, the significance, the responsibility, the importance of being part of your family through Christ. How would you speak to us this morning by your spirit? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at each of these sayings, all seven of them, one of the things we constantly need to be reminded of is part of the power of what Jesus is saying, part of the punch that is packed in each of these words, is based on the significance of what he's doing in this moment. That that he is suffering incredible pain as he slowly suffocates to death. That he's suffering incredible shame as he hangs naked before people who are mocking him, and that he's suffering incredible spiritual torture as he bears our sin and takes on God's judgment for us. It's in the midst of that that he's saying each of these things, including 
saying to his mother, woman, behold your son, and to the disciple whom he loved, John, John, behold your mother. I'd say it's from these words and the, the lead up to them that we might see three things about what it means to be a part of Jesus' family or get a glimpse into what it means to be a part of Jesus' family. First of all, that we might see Jesus' grip over the pain of his family. Jesus doesn't keep his family from facing pain. If you've ever been to Hershey Park, or if you've been there recently, you know that when you go to Hershey Park, you could buy something called a fast track pass. And what a fast track pass does is it enables you to skip past the hassles and the annoyances of waiting in line and get straight onto the ride. Being part of Jesus' family is not a fast track pass that enables us to skip past the type of difficulties, struggles, pains, hardships of living in a broken world. And we can see this even as we just look at Jesus' own mother here, Mary. She's suffering a type of pain and hardship that's hard for us to think about. And yet, I think it's important for us to try to put ourselves in that moment and experience it for a second. That this is her little boy dying in front of her eyes and she can't stop it or comfort him. I mean, just, just think about this. This is, this is the boy, she used to kiss his forehead and now there are thorns that are digging in his forehead. It's the boy, she used to hold his hand and now his hands are held to a cross by nails. And it's, it's the boy she used to comfort, hold in her arms when he, when he skinned his knee, and now she has to watch as he dies. If you are a mom, you probably can barely even think about that, with that without that just kind of breaking your heart. And that that's what Mary's facing in this moment. And we shouldn't miss, Jesus could have stopped it. He could have come down off the cross. He could have prevented her from facing this type of pain, and yet he didn't. And we say we know that's because he's dying to save her from her sin, but he didn't keep her from facing this type of pain. And, and before we would start to say, well, man, what kind of God lets someone walk through that type of weight and pain? We should see that God doesn't keep his own son from facing pain and hardship. Because Jesus is dying on the cross, suffering because it's God's plan and because he's taking our place there on the cross. Jesus absolutely loves his family, but he doesn't keep his family from facing pain. I don't know about you, that, that's hard for me to comprehend and believe sometimes. And I think when it is hard for us to believe that, it's really important to remember that we have a God who has wounds and his very wounds were gotten because he suffered in our place to rescue us. Jesus doesn't keep his family from pain, but he does order all the pain we face. He orders the pain of his family. All four gospels mention the fact that the soldiers cast lots for Jesus' clothes. 
but only John stops and dwells on it. Only John stops and highlights, hey, this happened to fulfill scripture. Why is that? And only John then goes on in the next three verse, or sorry, 12 verses, 24, 28, and 36, to point out three times something that happened to fulfill scripture. Why is that? In part because John wants us to see there is one who planned and predicted and ordered and is bringing this all about. That God is the one who's ruling over every bit of suffering on the cross and everything that's happening in this scene. It's why he says, hey, hey remember Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. What does it say? They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. And isn't it at least just a little interesting that the very thing the soldiers use to divide up Jesus' clothes, a die that they roll, is something the Bible uses to illustrate God's sovereign control over everything? Because Proverbs 16:33 says, the lot is cast into the lap, the dice is rolled, but it's every decision is from the Lord. I mean, just, just stop and think about this scene for a minute. The soldiers are not saying, hey, wait a second. Wasn't there something we need to do to fulfill something that was said in the Old Testament? Oh, that's right. We're supposed to roll dice so we can divide up his clothing. No, they're simply following their intuitions. They're simply following, we want to divide his clothing. This is ours. How do we do it? There's a piece we don't want to rip. Hey, someone have a dice. Okay, let's roll it so we can get this. And John is using that, dwelling on that to show us God's sovereign rule over his son's suffering. And so by virtue of that, his entire family's suffering as well. I mean, John is giving us a behind the scenes look. We see the actors, we see the drama. And John is saying, there's a director behind it who's ordering and carrying out every single detail, even down to how they divide his clothing. John is trying to get us to see there, there is a God who is ruling over every bit of suffering that his son is facing. It's the same God who is ruling over every bit of suffering that his family faces today. And what's fascinating when we think about it is the very one who is ordering and who planned this scene at the cross is the one who's hanging on the cross. I mean, John just wants us to, get, to have a stop and think, wow. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, the, the hope that we find at the cross is not a hope that our lives will be pain-free, but the hope is that every bit of pain we face is under the grasp of the one who died to save us. And so none of it is wasted. None of it is pointless. None of it is useless in his loving hands. Now, if we see this, without seeing what comes next, I think we would end up with a big view of God. He rules over everything, even suffering, that would end up being an incomplete view of God. That we would have a God who rules over all things, works all things according to the counsel of his will. But if we have that God 
and he doesn't care about the small, minor, day-to-day details of our lives, we have an incomplete view of God. We would almost be like someone who could stare up at the night sky and tell you about how big it is and how massive the galaxy is, but can't stop to wonder at a shooting star as it goes across. John wants us to stop and wonder about the heart of God that we see displayed in this moment. That Jesus' heart is to care for his family. Think, isn't it remarkable that all three of Jesus' first sayings on the cross as he dies are all meant to care for other people. To the ones who crucified him, Father, forgive them. To the thief beside him, who hours earlier was mocking him, today you will be with me in paradise. And now to his mother standing below him, woman, behold your son, there's, there's this line, famous line from the movie Braveheart where they're about to go into battle and, and, and the one person says, the, the main actor, the enemy may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. And as we look at Jesus on the cross, we might say the enemy may take his life, may take his clothes, may take everything he has, but they can never take his heart of compassion for people, that the same compassionate heart that he showed throughout his time on earth, cleansing lepers, healing blind people, caring for lame, enabling them to walk, raising people from the dead, is the heart that explodes outward from the cross to care for people. That at a time when, when everyone else, myself included, would have been turned inward, focusing completely on the pain, his heart continues to turn outward to people to care for them. Jesus is meeting a specific need of his mother here, to to have someone to care for, to have a place where she can lay her head and food to eat. But he's also showing us more broadly his heart to care for and meet the needs of his people. And we, we might see three things with this. First, that Jesus is equipped to care for you. And, and when I say you, I'm talking about if your faith is in Christ and you've been adopted into his family, then Jesus is equipped to care for you. He has both the necessary information and means to care best for us. We see with his mother, he, he knew what to do for her. He knew what would be best for her, which notice is not to entrust her to one of his half-brothers. Right? Jesus had younger brothers that we know of, Mary's biological children, but rather to entrust her to his disciple, John, because he just knew that's what's going to be best for my mother. And in the same way, he knows what is best for us. He knows how to care for us because we believe he's fully human. I mean, he knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to be frustrated in this life. He knows what it's like to face disappointment, to face temptation. And so he, is, he has all the information he needs to be able to care for us. And he's fully able to. I mean, if he's able to care for his mother as he's nailed to a cross and dying, how much more is he able to care for us now that he is exalted and wealthy beyond measure? This is what Paul is getting at in Philippians 
4.19, when he tells us, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He's able, he's, he's equipped, but he, he's also eager to care for his family, to care for you. I mean, if his heart turns outward to care for others as he suffers and dies, how much does his heart continue to explode outward to care for his family today? If he's eager to care for Mary, his mother, as he's gasping for breath, how much more is he eager to care for his people as he reigns and lives forever now? But, but maybe this is where we should pause and ask a question. Do you believe that Jesus' heart to care for you in the face of difficulty, pain, problems, hardship, is as eager as his heart to care for his own mother? Do you believe Jesus' desire, his eagerness to care for you is the same that it was to care for his own mother? Because I wonder if some of us, or even many of us, hear that we're a part of Jesus' family through faith, and we believe that. And yet, do we instinctively think we're more like his distant relatives, like his second cousins? You know there's a difference between how you treat your mom and your second cousins. You don't take your second cousins out to breakfast. You don't call in to check on them. You don't expect them to be there for you or you to be there for them. You don't give them gifts for presents, I would guess. You, you might know their names and a couple of details about their life but you care for your mom. Do, do we think, do we believe, yes, Jesus died to save me and he loves me, but instinctively we view ourselves more like his second cousins, that he's far more eager to care for his mother than he really is for us today. But think about what, what did Jesus himself say earlier in the gospel of Matthew? He, he says, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. If you are trusting in and following Jesus, he is as eager to care for you and every single detail in your life as he is his very own mother. That, that's what we're being told in the Gospels. That's what we're being even shown as Jesus cares for his mother on the cross. He's equipped, he's eager, and he's also exhaustive in his care for you. Let, let's stop again and ask, when is Jesus meeting the kind of ordinary daily needs of his mother, making sure she has a place to stay and food to eat? When he's accomplishing the most significant, painful important act in history. That's when he stops, looks down at his mother and says, woman, behold your son. Here's someone who will continue to care for you. It, it's as if in this scene, Jesus is giving us a picture and saying, I'm never too busy to not care for you. I'm never too consumed with rescuing the world that I don't have time to be bothered by your minor details and cares in your life. I mean, I think Jesus is like 
we might picture a father or mother who works a 12-hour shift and it's an incredibly difficult day. Frustrating conversations, hard meetings, annoying work. It's difficult. And he comes home and rather than running for the couch, he takes off his shoes, gets down on his knees, starts to play with his child and asks him, how's your day? What's going on with you? What happened? How can I care for you? Is that your view of God's heart for you? That he cares infinitely about the minor details of your life, not just the big things as well, because that's the heart that I think we see displayed on the cross and in these words. I mean, we, we can so easily fall into thinking God just cares about the big things. Ruling over rogue nations, reaching unreached people groups, saving the lost. And absolutely, he cares about all those things and is doing all those things. But how easily do we fall into thinking then, he doesn't have time to be bothered by my minor concerns and cares. He doesn't want to be bothered by the small stuff in my life. I shouldn't take that to him. What we find happening on the cross shatters that. That's not true because it's in the midst of rescuing the world that Jesus says, woman, here is a son to take care for you and meet your daily needs. If you're not someone who's turned to Christ, trust him, put your faith in him. He wants you to. And then he wants to care for every single aspect of your life. And if you are someone who is trusting in Jesus and you're part of his family, there is no detail, no matter how small you may think it is, no aspect that he is too busy or bothered to care for you in. He is equipped, he is eager, and he is exhaustive in his care for you. I mean, that should, that should cause us to run to him with everything. I, I think about, I, I love hearing stories of God answering what we might in our own minds be tempted to call small prayer requests. I just heard a story from someone this week where, where they're working on their farm and, and they, they lost this uh, like minuscule piece of farm equipment what would barely even fit between your fingers and, and are looking around for it on the ground and there's no way we're going to find this. Like there's no way. And, and stop and pray, God, would you show us where it's at? And, and open up their eyes and, and right in front of them is laying this tiny minuscule piece of equipment. Stories like that should encourage all of us. God cares about the minor details of his life. I mean, there's just nothing too small. That the one who rescues the entire world as he dies on the cross, everyone who would trust in him, is also the one who cares if we've lost a minuscule piece of farm equipment. How awesome is that God that cares for us? I mean, that, that should encourage us that every single detail, every single care, every single concern we have, he wants to hear and he wants to care for us in because we can see his heart of care displayed in these verses. And we can also then see his plan to care for his family. Not just his heart to care for his family, but okay, what's his plan to care for his family? Jesus entrusts Mary into the care of his beloved disciple, John, as we said earlier. And he entrusts John to take care of his mother. Woman, behold your son. John, behold your mother. By doing this, Jesus is giving us a glimpse into his continual plan to care for his family. 
that he's going to care for his family through his family, which is the church. I mean, I think this is part of the reason why Jesus doesn't entrust Mary to one of his half-brothers and to one of her biological sons. That would seem to make more sense. But instead, he entrusts her to John, who's likely very young at this point, and says, here's your mother. John, here's, or here's your son. John, here's your mother. That he's giving us a glimpse into what he wants the church to be, a family who cares for one another, who gives and receives care to each other. That Jesus wants us to be both a recipient of his care and an agent of his care in his family, the church. Jesus wants you and I to be in a place where we can receive his care through his family from others. It's why Jesus says to Mary, woman, behold your son. I'm putting you into his care. It's going to be in his house, his place that I'm going to continue to care for you through him. This is really important if we stop to think about it that if we want to continue to receive the care, the, the full measure of Jesus' care for us, then how we're going to receive that is actually through his family, the church. A and that if we, if we skip out on his family, we will miss out on his care to some measure. That, that if Jesus cares for his family through his family, that if we aren't putting ourselves together with his family, whether that's on a Sunday morning or in a care group or some other dynamic, that, that we'll end up missing out on a measure of his care in our lives because he wants to care through, for us through his family. I think about last year, my, my family bought season passes to Cherry Crest Farms uh, because one of our favorite things to do is to get lost in the middle of a cornfield and have no idea how to get out of it. We love, no, I'm just, we have a toddler and there's all sorts of great things to do at Cherry Crest for toddlers. And so we bought a season pass. But the thing about a season pass is that you don't actually enjoy the benefits of it unless you're in the place where it's valid for. Like if we had the season pass and we never went to Cherry Crest, then it would have in some ways been useless. It's only when we go to the place that we enjoy the benefits. Jesus has purchased our entrance into his family, but it's only as we gather together with his family that we then receive more and more of his care through his family. He wants you and I in a place where we can receive his care through others, and he wants us in a position where we can give his care to others in his family. Hence, he tells John, Behold your mother. I'm entrusting her to your care. And he tells us as his family today, behold the rest of your family. I'm entrusting them to your care. I mean, that, that's a duty, but that's first of all an incredible honor when we think about it. Some of you are likely legal guardians in someone else's will, which means if they would pass away, their children come into your home and become your children. And, and think about the honor of what that's saying. It's someone saying, if I die, 
I want what's most precious to me, my very family, my very children, to be entrusted into your care. This is Jesus, the honor of Jesus saying to John, John, I'm entrusting my very mother to your care. This is the honor of Jesus saying to us as his family, I'm entrusting my very family members into your care. I want you in a position where you can care for them more and more. We are called to be a part of Jesus' family. He died so that we might be a part of his family. And that's going to involve us being both givers of care to others in his family and recipients of care from others in his family. And so here's the, the takeaway with that, with a couple suggestions. Being part of the family is both a gift and a responsibility. Being part of the family is both a gift and a responsibility. I would guess for many of you, maybe not all of you, but many of you, when you grew up in a family, there was benefits to being part of that family, right? Like you, you got free meals, you got vacations, you got a room to stay. You, you had people to love and support you. But there were also responsibilities to being part of that family, right? You had chores to do, you had to clean your bedroom, you had to mow the lawn. As you grew up, maybe you had to drive your siblings somewhere. You had to help weed the garden because being part of a family is both a gift and a responsibility. And, and we recognize that to be true in our own families. And the same thing is true of the church. That being part of the family is both a gift and a responsibility. And, and so we, we might have two suggestions here. First, to gather with the family to give and receive care. Gather with the family to give and receive care. Yes, absolutely. When we gather together, whether it's on a Sunday morning or outside in a, in a small group or in a men's group or women's group or anything at all, we come to receive care, to be encouraged, to be built up, to be strengthened in our faith, to have people pray for us. But, but let's not gather, whether it's on a Sunday morning, whether it's at a men's breakfast, whether it's at a mom's group, whether it's in a care group or any other time we gather, just coming and thinking what am I going to get out of it? Or what's the, what's the benefit for me? But, but to come and think, God, how do you want to use me to care for others? How do you want me to encourage others? How, how do you want me to build others up? How do you want me to be an instrument of your care to other people I'm going to come in contact with at this group? This is where I'm just going to make a small plug for the benefit the beauty of care groups here at Keystone. Because in a, and you'll hear more about this next week in a video, but, but in a church this size, it's impossible to know and be known by everyone. But in a small group, in a care group, all of a sudden we know people better and we're known by them better. And so we're in a better place to be cared for and in a better position to care for others. I think that's the beauty of care groups in many ways gather with the family to give and receive care. And then number two, commit to the family by becoming a member. I'm going to try to tread in a way that is beneficial here for us, <laughs> which isn't always easy. But, uh, but I want you to notice, first of all, that uh, John or, or 
yeah, when Jesus tells John, behold your mother, there is an instant commitment. What does it say then? He took her home into his family from that time forth. An instant commitment. This is my mom. This is my family. I'm caring for her now. To be part of a family means to be committed to the family. Now, here's why I want to be careful. I don't by any means want to say, if you're not a member of a church or member of Keystone, then you're not committed to the family because I know that's simply not true. I mean, I know there are lots of people who've been at Keystone for years who who said, we're we're not going to be members here, but we love this family. We're going to serve and we're dedicated to this family. The, The lines are blurred, absolutely. But I want to push a little and say, we shouldn't want the lines to be blurred. We should want to know clearly who's part of the family, not just at large as in who's a Christian, but who's part of this family right here. Because we should want to know who's committed to me no matter what, who has my back no matter what. And we should want to know who am I committed to caring for no matter what. And I think that's part of the beauty of membership is we're saying, I'm committed to this family and they're committed to me. Come hell or high water, we're walking through this together. Here's, here's maybe a way to think about this. There's a difference between renting a house and owning a house. In both scenarios, you would call that house your home and rightfully so, because it is. But if you're renting a house, you don't enjoy all the benefits of owning that home, the type of security, the type of ability to change things. But you also don't have all the responsibilities of it, right? Because if something goes wrong, you call the landlord and they can take care of it. But to be a, an owner means now you enjoy the the benefits of owning that house, as well as now we've got the responsibilities. If something goes wrong, that's on me as well to take care of it. If you call Keystone your home, we don't want people to ultimately be a renter. Yes, for a time period. Yes, for however long to decide, is this my church or not? But we ultimately want everyone to be an owner. To, to take ownership for the family and to have the family take ownership for you. Again, to say that there are people who are committed to me no matter what. They're not going to let me go easily. And to say, I'm committed to those people too. Just as John and Mary would have been committed to each other by virtue of Jesus' words to them. Megan Hill says this about the church. The church is not a man-made society that we can participate in or opt out of according to our own level of comfort. The PTA, the Neighborhood Association, or the Library Booster Club don't obligate us to personal sacrifice when things get tough. Family does. I mean, I, I think back over my own life. I think, who was there to help me with homework when I was struggling? Family. Who was there to cry with me when our first dog died? Family. Who was there to watch me at a cringeworthy middle school drama? Family. Who was there to take care of me when I was sick? Family. Who who never stopped pursuing me when I rebelled and wanted to distance myself 
Family. Who was there to celebrate my marriage and the adoption of my son? Family. Who do I know that I can run to for wisdom and encouragement and prayer? Family. Who do I know has my back no matter what? Family. Who do I know will be by my side? Family. In an instant when I need them. Jesus died so that that might be true not only of our biological families, but as the church, as our family as well. And maybe you have all those things in your biological family because you have a great biological family. And I think Jesus would say, that's great, but now I want you to give and receive those things in my family, the church family as well. And maybe you have none of those things in your biological family because you don't have much of a family. And Jesus would say, I died so that you would never be without the love, support, commitment, and care of a family that would be found in my family. No, we are not perfect by no means, just as no family is. But Jesus has made us a family, and that's a reality that we're seeking to grow more and more into. Because Jesus' death is ultimately our welcome into his family. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful that we don't have to go through this life alone. I mean, it would not be good news if on the cross you simply died to forgive us and save us, but then you left us to go through this life all on our own. It would not be good news for right now. It might be for the future, but but that you through your death in our place, invite us and welcome us into your family is is really good news. And I pray that that's what it would be for us, that we wouldn't look at the church as if it were something you created to give us one more thing to fit into our busy schedules. How easy it is to view the church like that for me, but that we would look at the church as a family who is with us, who is for us, who has our back. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.